I think Promises was one of the first, you know, a whole different sound on Broadway. Still no body mics. We didn't even have body mics in a chorus line. I would imagine those first body mics, uh, the packs were as big as <laughs> telephone books on your back. <laughs> it weighed like 13 pounds. Yeah, I, would, I just padded my bra more. <laughs> <laughs> Cocktails at Table 7, inside New York's Joe Allen. In May of 1965, Joe Allen began life as a cozy neighborhood bar and restaurant in New York City's Hell's Kitchen. Located just a few blocks from Broadway, Joe's quickly developed a highly loyal clientele of young performers, writers, and creative types. The food was great, the drinks were stiff, and the fabled flop wall celebrating Broadway's most notorious bombs gave the room an added touch of insider charm. Over the decades, Joe Allen grew into a New York institution, and on this podcast, we'll celebrate Joe's history with longtime regulars who know it best. We'll hear from actors, producers, writers, musicians, neighbors, and friends who will share with us just what makes Joe Allen the place to be. So here's to old friends, new friends, and cocktails at Table 7. Guys, we've had this podcast now for, what, like a year and a half? I think we're going on year 30, actually. It, feel, it feels like it. We have great listeners. I would like to encourage those of you who are listening and have not gone to the Apple Podcast app and reviewed us and said nice things about us to do that. Because um, I, I read a story about a podcaster who has a podcast that's apparently worth $100 million. Wow. <laughs> what does this person talk about? What is, what is it about? <laughs> well... I, I think I think that he has he might have more reviews. That might be the key. I'm gonna guess oh, that that's yeah. at least part of it. <laughs> so I would like to kind of kind of kind of crack into that and also spread as much COVID misinformation as I could. Well, I think we should start spreading um, theater misinformation. Okay, perfect. Things like you know you know what Stephen Sondheim, he's not that good. <laughs> he's just not that good. I mean, it's obvious. The worst. The absolute worst, and I and I see that they're replacing Hugh Jackman with uh... Don Knotts. <laughs> Is Don Knotts even alive anymore? <laughs> no, that's what makes it so good. <laughs> All right, it was silly. It was just a silly thought. But the review part is not silly. Nor is the interview. And the interview is not silly either. It could be your Valentine's Day gift to us. As this episode is our Valentine to you. And I'm doing grand hand gestures as if you can all see me. She's also making kissy faces at the microphone. That's how much she loves each and every one of you. And we're going to add lovely, classy kissy face sound effects. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. We do have this week a true legend still performing all over the country. We have the great Donna McKechnie with us. She was delightful. She's always delightful, talented and delightful in the restaurant, talking to her. I mean, I feel like delightful is such a good adjective for her. She's a wonderful person to have for Valentine's Month, a very warm and welcoming life energy and her really lovely recollections of Joe Allen and her amazing career and every single giant that she worked with, including Mr. Sondheim, which is here we are with company being one of the hottest tickets. And, you know, what can you say? I think you said it all, Sean. Well, he didn't say anything about turkey lurkey, so he almost said it all. That's true. I think at least one of us made a turkey lurkey joke, if I recall. 
yeah, it pops up a couple times. And, you know, hang in there. There's a few. Um, we had to do this on Zoom. And whenever you do anything on Zoom, there's a little bit of funky audio going on. So we continue our tradition of cocktails at technical difficulties. <laughs> we apologize. Oh, cocktails of technical difficulties. <laughs> And we thank her so much for going that extra step to call in and make sure it sounded all right. She's a trooper. Here she is, Donna McKechnie. On cocktails at table seven. Yeah, yeah, do I do it? Sure. Outside New York's or so. (laughs) Wow. He put a spin on it, everybody. Cheers. Finally, we got this figured out. Well, everybody looks good. Oh, you too. We got to see you before. You look great too. (laughs) We are recording, just so you know. We're very loosey-goosey, so don't... I I won't say any bad words. I was going to make a turkey lurkey joke, but then it didn't come out right. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, turkey lurkey time. Yes. (laughs) Comes around every year. It's 50 years later. Who knew? Oh, my God. (laughs) I see that the first Broadway credit that you have is How to Succeed, right. the original company of How to Succeed. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was 1960-61. I was very uh, lucky. I, I even knew it then, at that, at that tender age. The first show I did got a Pulitzer Prize, got all these awards. I hadn't even seen a Broadway show until I, I found myself in one. That's amazing. I was a little ballet girl, but um, I loved it. But even then, it wasn't lost on me how important it was to really study. I had that for two years. So that enabled me to take all of my, practically all of my earnings, which was like $166 a week, (laughs) and go to acting class and and take voice lessons because I as I would stand on the side in rehearsal, I went, oh, my God, this, this is something I can do longer than the life of a dancer. Mm. I did that. I just went, I was a professional student. So I guess I was working on Broadway before Joe opened on uh, 46th Street because it opened when? In, um, 1965. 65? Yes. Well, I've been going there since it opened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's just the uh, Joe's has always been just a part of uh, our community. I just went there a couple times last week, and it was well, you know, I'd love to hear your side of it too because it seems like there's a real camaraderie if you hold all of this together to stay in touch. Yeah, is truly why we started this. You know, that's the restaurant, but also the customers, the regulars, Broadway. We always knew, but I think we felt what we were missing more acutely during the pandemic. And it's turned into- And I miss Joe. It's part of the sadness, part of the sadness with all of the, the sense of loss that we all have with just having to, you know, endure um, the loss of, of friends and, and uh, family. And Joe, I didn't expect it to be so shocking to me. His spirit will always be there, of course. But I think of him all the time because he was so much a part of my life, you know, going in there and, and, and keeping him alive in spite of the fact that he's not here. You know, that was, was very evident to me. Everyone who's there now is really, they're trying to reflect that. And the place, although different, is, is reflecting that. So well, he, he had a lot of respect. I mean, he had a lot of respect for um, his theater people, but also for the audiences, you know, that, be, that followed. I mean, for my family, it's their favorite restaurant, as it is mine. I was in London doing a show. I survived because I, I charged everything. You know, I just signed my name for like, you know, five months. <laughs> um, 
And uh, that, that enabled me to survive over there for that time until I started making money. I love Orso's too, but it's Joe's that I keep going back to. I was there at the beginning. Yeah. There's something shared kind of between a restaurateur who was opening a place at a time in the city when there were a whole bunch of creative people of all sorts that were coming into their own, people like you who were starting your career. Yeah. That's, I love that. Um, There's a strong connection. George Abbott directed the Broadway production and the tour of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Yeah. And then I, before I knew who Stephen Sondheim was, it was my first singing audition for Cecilia for the national tour. And I, I didn't really know what I was doing, but um, George Abbott laughed so hard because my, I, I was shaking so much and my timing was off, I thought. But actually, immediately it was on. But it took me a whole year to learn how to find that first meeting on the road. And that was a great education, being on the road, being out in this country, going from city to city, theater to theater. Oh, that was, uh, that was great. When I came back, I was ready for anything. And then in 68, you did the education of Hyman Kaplan with him. Right. The story of, of getting into Hyman Kaplan was a story that I told in the tape sessions for A Chorus Line. We were trying to solve the mostly fictionalized character of Cassie. We were trying to give her a reason why she was there. And um, I told the story about how I had done Hullabaloo on television, and I did, did some, I don't know, summer stock. I, I was out of a job, and I was, you know, I had it so, what I, what I thought was the way it was always going to happen. You just audition, you get a Broadway show. And it doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen like that? I can't believe no, it. No, no, they just don't, they just don't give it to you like that. I was going through a little, you know, one of those frantic things, and I remember my one of my dance teachers, Jaime Rogers. All of those West Side Story dancers were like icons to us, uh, young dancers. And uh, I went to him, practically begging, if not begging. I said, "Please, um, I I need a job." And also, I was um, getting out of a marriage. I was getting out of a marriage that was just not not good, and um, a foolish girl. So I was begging. I said, "I, I need to <clears throat> I need to find my independence." And can I work in the show? And, and he said, well, it's all about the East European immigration. And I don't know. I don't think you're right for it, but I'll ask Mr. Abbott. And uh, I said, please, I'll do anything. I'll just get coffee, whatever. I just need a job. And he went to George Abbott and Abbott said, sure. And so I, I'm in there. And, but, but he also told him, well, she's too good of a dancer. So let's put her in the show. I'll make her Irish. Like she's an Irish immigrant. So, which was so adorable and charming because I was not in the, in the show. And, and I mean, that says a lot to me about, you know, he was a great gentleman, but um, he was also a showman, but he, he maneuvered that for me. He, he created that for me. That really saved the day. And out of that, See, when they say you never know who's in the audience, well, Hal Prince was in the audience, and he remembered my performance in that show that did not run very long and uh, remembered me um, for company. One of the things that I loved, Sondheim, uh, I, I took it as a compliment. Uh, when everybody would uh, be talking about my dancing in the show or something, he would say, well, I knew her when she was a singer. <laughs> so to be amongst all of these incredible people um, was quite an education, you know, like going to university. So 
Yeah. yeah, and not just that, but to work with Bob Fosse and then on Promises, Promises to be working with Michael Bennett. And of course, that's a, you know. Yeah, Promises, Promises. That was the first big show that was, again, you know, wonderful hit and different. It was such a first on so many levels. It was a first engineered set. In other words, um, there, there was like a computerized set, you know, that Robin Wagner built. And that caused quite a stir in the unions, as you can imagine. And um, Phil Ramone, who was a great recording p- producer, music producer, uh, Burt Backrack brought him in. And it was the first covered pit where they were c- trying to re- recreate that recording studio sound. Uh, I was, was kind of phenomenal. I just love that score. And um, just great people involved. And it was Michael Bennett's first big hit as a choreographer. And that that, uh, that was really important, you know. And because things like that on the road, when they used to take shows on the road, as you know, um, <clears throat> they would either, they would find out what was wrong. And then the audience and the, the critics out of town would, would help everybody see it more clearly by their reaction. And um, changes were made. And, and always they used to say all the best songs are written out of town because they had to, <laughs> you know, really dig in. I don't know if that's true, but that's what they used to say. And uh, yeah, so Promises at one point didn't have that um, first act closer. The game uh, is Turkey Lurkey time. <laughs> so that number was, was built on the, on the road because there was no dance number, really. Oh, wow. uh, it didn't work. And, um, and thank God, because I was hired as a um, singer-actor, and then Robert Moore, who was great, Joe Allen, you know, mm-hmm. client, and um, he was a wonderful director. He had to take a half an hour out of the show. So all of those secondary parts, a lot of them were cut, and mine was one of them, except Michael kind of grabbed me by the arm metaphorically and said, well, she's a dancer, so we'll, we'll build a dance around her. And um, that's what happened. And luckily, it saved my job, and, um, and it worked. So that was a, you know, it was very nerve wracking on the road. That's really exciting. And, and Harold Wheeler was the conductor, all of 25 years old. Um, Harold Wheeler was in our rehearsal room, you know, playing for us. And Bert Backrack loved his style. He was great and still is. It sounds like you you had a chance to be involved in a lot of the firsts of things in that in that period of your performing life. Yeah, the change is amazing. I mean, in company, um, Boris Aronson's set was unbelievable. I thought all that steel and chrome and the, the electric elevator and to use all those projections. It was like, you know, cinematic in a way. It was great. Yeah, I love that. It felt very modern at the time. Have you been able to see the revival of company? Oh, yes. Oh, gosh, yes. I went opening night. It was so exciting. It was really exciting. And uh, talk about, oh, sets. I mean, that design of that show, I, I loved it. You know, I don't feel, <clears throat> there's a lot of subjective feelings when you do a show. And the, it was, I, I, I loved the show. I, it was highly entertaining. And I loved the director and I loved the cast. that was so brilliantly talented. And, uh, but, you know, it's like watching the ghost of Christmas past. You know, I saw, I would hear a, a music, uh, like a, a refrain, or I'd hear a lyric, and and I would go to the original. It would my brain would just go back to the the old cast, the old cast. Um, we are old now, but um, but I and and I would just you know I, initially I had to make the effort you know to stay in the story to stay with this, which wasn't hard to do because it was so it was so engrossing and so entertaining. 
Um, I really loved it. And the design of it, just talking about Boris Aronson, what, what he did, you know, those projections. Um, I, I was just the lighting, the, her ideas, moving on stage and rooms. I mean, it was just, uh, it was wonderful. And it was, you know, opening nights. I mean, it was the first opening night I'd gone to in a while. And, mm. and, and there's always that reunion feeling, you know, and I, I was having a reunion with Pam Myers and Barbara Berry. We were all sitting together and, you know, poking each other. And, and uh, it, was, it was great. And there's a great little hotel that they had a little after party. I didn't even know it was there. And this is one of the things I love about New York. It's called the Civilian Hotel. Have you heard about it? On 48th Street. Is this the new theater-themed hotel? Is that it? That's right. That's a David Rockwell project, I think. That's yeah. right. He was there, and he was such a, a, a great, great person to spend some time with. Every floor, he, he rotates, and, and he, he has different um, exhibits on each floor. That sounds really cool. I have to get over there. They just and the little they... bar on the, on the second floor, by the way, there's a little room at the back. It's really neat. The whole bar area is on the second floor. Good to know, because I've only heard small things about that. You know, it's uh, mm -hmm. that that he was the designer and that he designed like every room to have a very theatrical feel. So it's uh, and it is sort of a Broadway hotel. Yeah. 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 You also had a podcast or have a podcast. Well, I did. The Ladies Who Lunch. Yeah, we did it at Sardis. Dory Bernstein, she, she's just a wonderful producer. And I didn't even realize what I was asking for. I just said, well, it has to be authorities. I said, you know, I just want it to be that retro showbiz thing for just women to sit around because no one does that anymore anyway. So she went, okay, I get it. And what they did was so extraordinary on the days that we, we shot it. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, miking everybody up and and being in a room, I mean, it was filmed, and we had um, just women of all, you know, directors, choreographers, writers, dancers, singers, just incredible, incredible people. And I didn't really know what I was doing, except I just thought, well, how can this connect with people and help people or put a good vibe out there for people? I think we know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing you know, either. So, yeah, we got it. Well, no, but, but I had a way of just... Um, introducing each person and then i would just start with someone i would put a question out and say what what sparked you people were very forthcoming because it was women and we always oh, we gave everybody lunch <laughs> that's more everybody than you're getting relaxed. from us exactly i think uh, <laughs> i think kelly wanted a drink i mean you could order you know whatever you wanted and um and i think and we had a great reunion with Priscilla and Kelly Bishop. Yeah. And yeah. Just some great, great conversations. And uh, Mercedes Ellington telling us about how she was just a girl and she went to Russia with Duke Ellington's band. Everybody wow. went and he brought vodka back into the country and, and he brought them Coca-Cola, I think. There was, some, <laughs> there was some exchange like that. It was actually really a pleasure to hear you talk to to those three ladies specifically because um, we all have a strong connection to a course line. To know that that you guys like each other, it's a joy to know that. Yeah, and you know that that's a bond that I think it is so strong with all of us. You know, we don't communicate enough. We all have our lives and we go off, and and so there isn't that connection day to day or week to week even. But 
it, it's I, I guess it's like a, a, a really familial feeling. They are just a, an important part of me, every person in that show. It also sounds like Coruscant, the various casts over the years, even regional and touring, it's like we've talked to several people who are in um, some of the original companies of hair and there's that tribe, you know, feeling yes, of that you're, you're exactly. all part of this, this like almost living organism of this it's, show. It's a, and it's a thing that everyone knows that is bigger than we are, mm-hmm. you know, we're very much yeah. a part of it, but it's bigger than we are. It's a bigger story. And when I'm able to, sometimes someone will call me and they're doing a production of a chorus line. Would you talk to their, you know, our company? And I'm, I'm so happy to do it because I say to them, you are part of the family. Only doing this show. I mean, if you do it eight times a week, you really are. <laughs> it's a wonderful show to do. It's very, very exciting for a young performer to have a, a part with a name and doing that for any length of time, you really, if you're just starting out, you can really learn a lot about yeah. the craft of acting, singing, of just theater. I know I did it 30 years ago, and I can still remember the opening line that I had. <clears throat> yeah, what was that? I'm Robert Charles Joseph Henry Mills III. That's my real name, too. I can't remember the name of the... No, I grew up in upstate New York near Buffalo. I can't remember the name of the town. I blocked it out. Born. <laughs> yeah, but that's a that's. Oh my God, that's so wonderful! You remember yeah. that? Yeah, I, I, and that's you know, as soon as you started saying those lines, mm-hmm. I saw Tommy Walsh. You know, yeah. who was a great friend, and that was what was going. That was that's how I was dealing with companies. Sometimes I would just hear somebody say something, and I would you know. Of course, I mean, when it go when you've done that question. that thing over and over and over eight times a week, it, it becomes part of your bones. Yeah like that little speech I, I mean i did it for a weekend or a week in college and that was it but i mean it's just it's just there but what good lines yeah, yeah absolutely yeah you know some of the original people who gave their stories came in as replacements and they adapted stories they combined things honestly i relate to the cassie character but it's the most fictionalized because it was the last character to come and fall into place. And it was very important to Michael that there had to be dramatic tension. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't just literally an audition. There had yeah. to be something that would raise the stakes a little because he wanted to do it in real time. It was like he had a time problem. He had the money problem. He had all this, these backstories. So that was a real, that was playwriting. So mm. that, that was really why yeah. James Kirkwood came in to help out because it, it wasn't as easy or convenient as, you know, relating a, a wonderfully um, told story about growing up with, you know, a sister in dance class or going to a Catholic church. And the growing up stories are wonderful, but then, you know, it had to go somewhere. So <laughs> anyway, I could go on about that. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know, Bayork Lee, I mean, who single-handedly has taken this show yeah. around the world a few times like four or five times. She's now, I don't know where she is. I think she's in Spain with the new company and they were to bring it back again to the Newman Theater, Joe Papp's, you know, public theater mm. um, in the summer, just before everything shut down. Ugh. And I think she's with the company again in Spain. Um, and when Antonio Banderas was set to do Zach and now it's about timing with other things, I guess, but they have a d- determination, I think, to bring it back to New York. So, you know, it, it keeps, it keeps going. It's wonderful. I think I got to write a new song for Zach. 
Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> <laughs> that always worked out really well in the movie. With me. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's definitely what would have happened if they were to redo the movie again. <laughs> right. The movie, of course, you know, I'll say one thing because I've been accused of being a little Pollyanna at times. But uh, one thing the movie gave me was it was a big hit in Europe. So it enabled me 13 years later, one of the greatest times of my life to open the show in Tokyo and then in Paris at the Chatelet Theater, where we sold out every night. It was like in 86, 87. That's when the French culture didn't really have Broadway shows. It's like yeah. it was just not part of that, their culture. It was, they, but it is now more, but it, at that time it wasn't. They just loved it, and, and it was a great experience for me to do it. So, And that's all because of the film. Well, we always praise anything that anyone works hard on. Yeah. Like the, the flop wall at Joe's. Yes, that's right. It's a tribute to these shows that didn't work. It is. It's just as much work uh, to make a show that doesn't work as one that's that does. Right. The same and that's the why I love it, because it's so hard. It's like a miracle that anything gets mounted anyway. Uh, but all those people putting all that time and energy and talent into it and so disappointing, you know, and you have to just get up and go to the next one. Do you have a favorite flop that's on our flop wall? And I say no, flop I in quotes because I, I mean it in a in a kind way, like we just said. But is there a favorite? Yeah, of yours? yeah. No, I don't. I, they're all so interesting to me. There's so many stories about different shows. If I'm with someone, they go, "Oh, I saw that draft the cat," you know. <laughs> and then I hear more about that because I never saw it. Breakfast at Tiffany's was that. Is that that the shortest one? Yeah, I mean, didn't he announce the closing during intermission? I think that's the story there. Um, that is certainly oh, one of the God. shortest ones. Um, I think Moose Murders closed the night it opened and Kelly yeah. closed the night it opened. Mm -hmm. And David Merrick wow. had a big advance for Breakfast at Tiffany's and took out a full page ad in the Times and told everybody he was going to give them their money back. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He told Joe Allen that it was his Bay of Pigs. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh my god which, which so he I, was quite a he was quite a, a a wonderful producer you know oh yeah of course when the stagehands were up in arms not taking sides but you know they all of a sudden they were out of a show and they we got bomb threats in fact i think we had to leave the theater one time we got a bomb threat they had to bring the dogs in you know to check everything out we were out there in Schubert Alley with the audience, I think. Um, but David, opening night, he, we got so many threats. I didn't know about, but he got so many threats that we went on with the opening night. And he, I don't know if someone made this up, but, but I can see him doing it. He stood by the computer. He said over my dead body to all these threats, you know, because oh, they were yeah. really alarming threats. And he stood there like with an axe oh, and made sure that that computer, that no one came next <laughs> near that computer. <laughs> now, I think that's a true story. Oh, it sounds right. Anyway. <clears throat> so let me just ask, are you, are you back to a schedule with uh, dancing and performing? Have you been able to resume what you were doing? Oh, my God, yes. I have a new show and I have another show that I'm putting together um, as a tribute to Stephen Sondheim. Um, I have some concerts in May and then in June and July. But I want to just tell you, if anyone's out there with a lot of knee pain, um, I decided to bite the bullet and get my knee replaced. 
And I didn't want to do it for many years. And then it got so painful because we had time off. I went, well, if I'm going to do it, this is it. So I did it. And uh, I'm, I feel so grateful that I did it. So I'm, I'm encouraging people to really do their own research, but it's really changed my life in such a good way. Uh, pain-free and, and able to dance again. Oh, that's um, or what I call dance illusion. If I'm not dancing, well, you know, I'm dancing. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really excited. That sounds wonderful. You've been through other physical that's trials right. yeah. that you've worked your way through amazingly. Um, yeah, so. yeah. I'm just really um, very, very happy that I took the plunge and did it because it's a scary idea. Well, especially as a dancer, I would think it'd be doubly scary. Yeah, but it's all in the therapy after, really, mm-hmm. honestly. The surgeons yeah. are great. There's so many great doctors in New York all over. Yeah. But it's all in the in the physical therapy, and, and I have great therapists. So I'm very excited. I just did a concert at Pro, uh, Actors Fund at Birdland, and my first time in front of an audience in two years. And I was really nervous, but it was great. I loved it. So I go, okay, let's move forward with everything. Well, I bet they were very happy to see you. Well, yeah, and I love I love doing it. We thank you so much for doing this. We like to end our interviews with a questionnaire that we put together. We call it our last call okay. questionnaire. It's sort of, you know, based on the Proust questionnaire and the James Lipton actor studio, but we've Joe Allen Ooh, okay. up a little bit. <laughs> so just, you know, right. whatever, whatever comes to mind first, we'll just start that. Right? Okay. First question. What's your drink at Joe Allen? Um, the, well, it, it's the water. <laughs> the water. I love you the water. Have I love very the good water. We have delicious. delicious water. It's delicious. Are you talking about water from a carafe or water from a bottle? <laughs> no, it's water from a carafe. All right. Yeah. New, New York, York City water. tap. Good stuff. New York City Dana makes the best, biggest water. glass of water. I do. Yes. <laughs> uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Hmm, that's, um, I don't know. I can't type. I don't know. I, that, I don't know. I can't imagine. I do love, I do love teaching. Mm. Honestly, I do. I, yeah. I think teaching yeah. would be, when I taught at HB, I really, I really loved it. So. All right. Question number three. Um, if you thought that one was hard, this one's gonna, this one's gonna make your head explode. <laughs> what live performance that you saw floored you the most there's so many yeah when i saw james earl jones and jane alexander in a scene from the great white hope i remember hearing someone sobbing and it was me i was so totally out of my seat in the theater wow i was i was so i was so taken i was so swept into the scene that i i I just i forgot where i was wow that is a fantastic answer. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite dish at Joe Allen? I like the liver with the onions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always have. Because liver is really good for you. And I don't eat meat anymore. But I do when I go to Joe Allen. I eat liver. That is the highest praise I think we can get. We, we can turn the vegans. We can turn anybody. <laughs> what is your favorite curse word? It. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was so spontaneous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, 
At Joe Allen, do you like the hot fudge pudding cake for dessert, or do you prefer the banana cream pie? Yes. Yes, to <laughs> both. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> if you could invite anyone to join you for a perfect New York evening of Broadway and dinner at Joe Allen, who would you invite? Oh, my gosh. Um, my sister. I would invite my sister because I don't see her enough. I'm going to see her next week. Oh, that's good. You can actually make this dream a reality. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be a perfect night. Pick one word to describe how you feel about Joe Allen, the establishments. Home. We feel very much the same. Yeah, I'm sure. You just made me cry. <laughs> oh, no. You know, can't see me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that, not, it's that time no, of the I'm year. Laughing. Yeah, it's we're okay. all ready no, to I'm cry. Laughing. We're all ready to cry. <laughs> oh. uh, well, thank you for this. Yes. All the technical challenges aside, we got to it. Yes. We're going to close with a toast. So let's raise our okay. glass of good old New York tap water. To good friends, <laughs> great nights at the theater, and cocktails at table seven. Cheers. 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 So much, Donna. That was wonderful. Cocktails at Table 7 is produced by Jason Woodruff, Dana Mirlock, and Sean Kent, with theme music by James Rubio and logo design and artwork by Christina D'Angelo. Special thanks to the owners of Joe Allen, Orso, and Bar Centrale Restaurants.